Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mid-South Television Review Show. I'm your host, Mike Mills, and today we're going to be going through the June 19th, 1982 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. I am joined, as always, by the man behind the 605 Super Podcast, the mothership, the great Brian Lass. Brian, how you doing today, man? Aloha, Mike. I appreciate the mothership right there at the top of the show. And speaking of shows... This is prime Mid-South wrestling. The next couple weeks, this week, you know, really gets things going. Last week, we had those promos setting everything up. Things are really flying high in Mid-South right now. These are great television episodes that we're covering. This makes it a lot of fun to do what we're doing. Yeah, you know, the last, this week, and then last week, and then next week, is kind of like a, a good hamburger. I like mine with cheese. I know you don't, but we're not going to get into that <laughs> today, if that's okay with you. That's but, okay with me, yes. <laughs> okay. I like my burger with cheese, damn it. But anyway, like last week, we set some things up, so we got, you know, part of the bun, and then... Like this week, we get the bottom part of the bun, and then next week, they slap that big old beef patty on it, and then we're ready to just eat and enjoy a very good sandwich. So that's kind of like what these, what last week was this week, and then next week is going to be. So really, really good stuff going on in a nice little time period, right? I mean, we say this all the time about Mid-South entering and going in and out of great time periods, but this little three-week period here is a, is a good one. Yeah, and it's setting up a lot of the things that will happen in the future here in Mid-South. And why don't we kick it right off with the introduction of the show. Of course, Boyd Pierce does his intro. He is joined on commentary this week by Bob Roop, the North American champion. And Roop's going to talk a little bit here at the top about something you and I mentioned last week on the show, which was we picked up on the fact that for the first time, Ted DiBiase is wearing a glove on his hand. So Bob Roop has an issue with that. We'll hear a little bit about that. But let's now go to the opening of this program. I'm your host, I'm Boyd Pearson. We have a lot of exciting action signed by matchmaker Grizzly Smith. The Louisiana Heavyweight Championship will be on the line as the Junkyard Dog defends his title against the challenge of the Masked Grappler. Also, Steve Dr. Death Williams, who gave two tremendous matches as he started his professional career right here on Mid-South Wrestling. He'll be back. Ted DiBiase will be in action. The Big Cat Ernie Ladd. Lots of great wrestling matches coming up. Our guest commentator of the week, with North American heavyweight champion Bob Roop. Bob, you're a man of great controversy. In fact, there's not one but two top men, and I reiterate top men in the world that are after you and your North American heavyweight title. That's in the form and fashion of the Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase. Well, boy, that's true. You know, it's only fitting that the top people in the country and the world should be after me because with this title, I am the number one heavyweight in the country. You know... I can handle the competition. I've always been able to. I'm the man with the plan. But I'd like to say this. You know, people have talked in the past about me being a controversial saying I break the rules. I've noticed that Ted DiBiase recently is out here wearing his glove on his hand, saying something about uh, his hand is hurt or something. Well, listen, I'm supposed to wrestle him next week. I'm going to wrestle him next week for this title. But he is. I'm, before next week, I want that hand either x-rayed to make sure there's nothing in that glove or I want that glove taken off there, and I mean, that it's only fair. I'm not wearing any gloves or anything. All right, we'll get your comments as we go along right now. The first match is in the ring. Let's go for the introduction and research out. Of course, last week on the show, Ted DiBiase demanded a North American title match within two weeks with no disqualifications, and Roop is setting it up there, saying it's going to happen next week. I don't want him to wear that glove. Mike, Roop looks like a heel here. He's got an interesting look here. The gold chain, the silk shirt, the very light jacket over it. A very interesting look, more charisma than you usually see from a Bob Roop. 
Yeah, he just looks like a schmuck and a real jackass, <laughs> you, which is which is the goal. I say that in a good way when I mention that about him right here. But I agree. He looks like a heel with the gold chain, the the silk shirt, the you know, the button kind of not not all the way buttoned up. It just and it's his demeanor. He's so condescending, but yet he he's kind of right. You know, why is he allowed to wear the glove? And I wanted X-rayed and. You know, DiBiase's going to answer that question, but it's he's on point right here. So he he's doing a good job of 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 putting forward his heel shtick right here. Well, that's one of the things in Mid South Wrestling. The heels cheat like they always would, but they also bring up legitimate points. And Roop is right to be upset about this glove that DiBiase all of a sudden wore last week in his match. But but he does it in a good way to where. Although he's telling the truth, he's still just like a straight jackass and just, you know, uh, uh, just he, he he irks your nerves the way he's speaking to Reese. I'm sorry, Boyd right there. And and we'll see more of that also in this episode where he's kind of just condescending in a way. And, and Boyd doesn't put up with it either. Uh, Boyd, Boyd, Boyd kind of tells him about himself throughout this episode a few times. From there, Mike, we go to our opening match. Steve, Dr. Death Williams against Mike Bond with Rick Ferreira as the referee. You may remember Mike Bond in World Class or Florida or perhaps Vancouver. He wrestled in various places throughout the 80s. And Bob Roop on commentary during this match talks a little bit about potentially slapping Dr. Death if they ever get in there. It's interesting hearing Bob Roop talk about Dr. Death because they both have that collegiate wrestling background, that amateur wrestling background. And they're kind of teasing something uh, that may or may not ever actually happen. But they talk a little bit about it there. I have to say, though... Dr. Death is so tentative in the ring that it's clear that he may not, he, he may be not ready to be on TV yet. What do you he, think? He's, I agree. He's just unsure of himself. He's, he's, he's hesitant whenever he does most moves. His reactions are like, he'll pause like kind of frequently. You just can see that he's learn. I mean, he's learning and he, I mean, he's in front of T he's in on TV. That's the challenging part, but he really is learning. He's, he's not, I, you know, it's hard to say if he, for it's time, it was fine, but you definitely couldn't put somebody on TV like that today. It, it would not fly the, you know, what do they call it? The, I mean, the Twitterverse and Facebook, everything would blow up about how horrible of an individual this person is because they were learning. You just couldn't do that now. So he's he's definitely learning. It. It's 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 a little hard to watch at times. But to the point, you know, we, we said about him a few weeks back, he 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 does improve pretty damn rapidly and he's going to get good quickly. There are certainly things he's trying to do because this match and the match on next week's show are very similar in terms of he tries to do the exact same thing. He sets up a backdrop way too early. So he's just bent over and the guy kind of has to like walk into it, even though he clearly sees that Dr. Death is bent over. The guy has to feed right into it. It looks really awkward. And there's a few other awkward moments. But with Rick Ferreira as the referee, I think I said that before, Steve Williams wins with the Oklahoma Stampede. And there's our opening match. And from there, we go back to the announce table. Bob Roop and Boyd Pierce, they're about to throw to a recap of the March 17th match between Bob Roop and Ted DiBiase, where Roop won the North American title. And you may remember that he had the worst figure four you've ever seen on Ted DiBiase after the one-man gang and Akbar ran in, interfered, and hurt Ted DiBiase's legs. So let's go to a little bit of Roop and Boyd talking about it to set that up. And then we won't play the recap, but we'll play them coming out of it because there's a couple other things right there. 
know, you're one of the best at your profession. I want to show I'm, I'm the best at mine in terms of brains. A while back, I carried Paul Orndorff for a while, and I was letting him use my brains with his muscles. And I found out he was just selfish and egotistical and thought only of himself. And I thought, why should I let him use my brains? I went ahead and made a fool out of Paul Orndorff, and then I went ahead and beat him and chased him off. So I know how to make people pack their bags. And I'm only saying this, not bragging, only saying this because of the fact I finally got Ted DiBiase where I want him. He has said he'll pack his bags. I didn't even have to say it. All right, Bob. And on March the 17th, a match between Ted DiBiase and Bob Roop for the North American Heavyweight title. Let's watch it right now. Well, there it is. Even though Orndorff is gone and never to return, they're still talking about him because the fans obviously remember him. If this is the WWF, they would have never mentioned them ever again. But in Mid-South, they treat the fans like they actually have a brain. So they say, hey, you may remember this. This is what happened. Here's Roop's spin on it, obviously. And there's a lot of real life in a lot of the things Roop is saying about how smart he thinks he is how he uses people. There's a lot of real-life shit in there, too. But <laughs> there he is setting up this recap. And any thoughts you have on that, Mike? No, I because of the story they're telling, I, I'm, I'm glad with the recap that they show here. Because, again, this is months ago. Again, I always say it before, you know, many people had VCRs and whatnot. So this is this is fine. I like it. I like the recap. And um, I like the little story that they're telling in this in this segment and the next couple as we as we build up uh, next week. So from there, Mike, they play the recap, they play the clip and then Root comes out of it. Let's go to this audio. You and I will talk about it in a few moments. We're going to get some audio from Root. We're going to get some audio from Ted DiBiase and then you and I will wrap everything up. Boy, I never admitted before, but that picture, I, I guess I have to say that, uh, yeah, that was really a dirty, nasty thing to do, but uh, it worked, and I can say it now because there's nothing Mid-South can do about it. They can't take that title back. They can't give Ted DiBiase that six weeks he spent on his back. They can't give that back to him. So I can admit it now. Yeah, I did it. Right, I am now, the champion. Now let's hear what Ted DiBiase had to say. Actually, let me stop it right there, Mike, because I think Root does a great job right there explaining, yeah, I am a dirty cheat. Yeah, I screwed Ted DiBiase. You can't do anything about it. I'm the North American champion. I thought it was great because he's like, what you going to do about it? You know, I, was just, <laughs> I broke the rules and so what? Yeah, I did it. <laughs> now, now, what do you want? What do you want to say at this point? I mean, and he's right. He He's absolutely right. Because how many times does this Bill Watts on commentary go, you know, we can't look at the replay. I mean, this ain't the NFL. I mean, you know, there there's pro sports, you know, you don't just look at a replay and then make a ruling. You stick by what the ruling was and you just got to go from there and persevere through it. I mean, so Roop is essentially using Watts' own words against him right here when he says, yeah, I did it. I did it. So what? What are you going to do? Do something about it. Yeah, Roop is really doing a great job here on commentary as that heel character, really getting over his motivations, why he does these things, and really how he thinks he's smarter than everyone. And I got to be honest, if you're looking at it in kayfabe, he is smarter than everyone. He screwed Paul Orndorff. He got the North American title. He's right now riding on top in Mid-South Wrestling. But Ted DiBiase has something to say. Let's hear what DiBiase has to say. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want any of you wrestling fans out there to feel that Ted DiBiase has gotten too big for his britches or that I'm off on a big ego trip. It's just that I was unjustly robbed of the North American heavyweight title, and up until now I have not been given proper opportunity to regain that title. And I want to go on record as thanking Mid-South Wrestling right now for going ahead and giving me the opportunity that I want and I deserve to regain the North American title right here next week on television. I got a one-fall, no-disqualification match with you, Bob Roop, for the North American heavyweight title. 
And Roop, if you can come out here next week and beat me in a no disqualification match without any other help from outside, no, I take that back, Roop. If I can't beat you in this match, I will pack my bag and I will leave Mid-South without any hard feelings because I've asked for this match and they've given me the opportunity. And about this hand, Roop, you're complaining about the hand. Well, you know why the hand is hurt. The hand is hurt because of you. And it is simply taped. There's a handball glove covering it to hold the tape on when it gets sweaty. And I would never, Roop, as you would insinuate, use this glove to cheat and use it as, for an unfair advantage over anybody because I'm not like you. So right here, Roop, next week, we're going to settle this thing once and for all. Bob Roof, in the past in title matches or just in any kind of wrestling match, you've been known to connive and do different things that maybe a lot of people don't agree with. But this match has been signed for the North American Heavyweight title with no disqualification against you or whoever happens to be the North American Heavyweight champion in case you come up with another one of your super fodges. And if he wins, he will be the North American Heavyweight champion. Well, Boyd, uh, you know, I used a, a subterfuge once. That was just to get, to get this title because I needed to make my break. Since then, I've beaten everybody that came up against me. Like I said, I chased off Paul Orndorff. Ted DiBiase spent six weeks regretting the fact that I beat him for this belt. So, I mean, that's no problem. I'll be there, and, I mean, I'm going to send Ted DiBiase back. I still say you use super fodge. That's the word I like to use. Ted DiBiase is in the ring. Let's go for the introduction of the match. Well, there you hear it. Ted DiBiase saying my glove. Hey, it's just a handball glove with some tape on it. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> nothing to see here. Nothing, nothing to see Nothing here. to see here. It's just handball. Ted DiBiase, noted handball player. I do like that he explains why he is allowed to wear the glove in his right hand due to Roop injuring it. So that kind of gives an explanation, you know, as to it. And he even further explains, you know, the tape is there to hold it in place when it gets sweaty because, well, I guess that is kind of true, too. And, you know, things get sweaty and they'll start moving around. I also love Bob Roop here who just consistently just is playing the heel and you know he's not he he's not happy with everything's going on he 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 agrees again here he did cheat uh but he also is like you know this isn't fair and then i love i don't even know what the heck they're saying uh, when boy boy's like boy kind of puffs his chest out and tells him in so many words that he went too far when he won the title from dibiase but he's like what, did, what what's the word they're using i have trouble even saying it brian subterfuge Sub yes that's the word Okay, <laughs> they keep using that word, and I'm trying to figure out if the audience, because I'm like, what? Why just say it more simple terms? But anyway, I, I love Boyd uh, just kind of puffing his chest out and telling Rupe he's not happy with him throughout this whole thing, too. He's got a, Boyd's got a little edge, if you at least to me he does, uh, throughout this episode. He always does with Rupe, if you notice. Out of all the heels that he does commentary with, Rupe is the one that he kind of, kind of fires back on a little more than Ernie Ladd when he was a heel, for instance. That's, that's true, too. He, he, he's definitely got more of an attitude with Rupe. From there, we get our next match. It's Ted DiBiase versus Billy the Star Child Star with Alfred Neely as the referee. And during this match, Roop talks about the glove, and he actually puts DiBiase over, says that DiBiase is no slouch, that, you know, I beat DiBiase, he's a great wrestler. So it's interesting, because it's not just a heel like, this guy's a bum, this guy's a jerk, I can beat anyone. It's the exact opposite. And it's smart, because for the champion and the title to have credibility, the guy that he beat the guy who's trying to challenge him right now needs credibility, too. It's very smart, and it was done throughout 
the territories back in the day, especially in the eighties, I saw it happen a lot. And they, they did it. They did it often on Saturday night on TBS. You'd always hear Ric Flair as much as he'd be out there styling and profiling. He would, he would throw in little nuggets of gold, putting over his opponents and talking about how good they were while at the same time bragging about how that made him so much better. So like in the four horsemen would do it too. Like they would, I remember listening to Arn at one point talking about how tough Magnum TA was. This is before, obviously before Magnum's a car accident, but like putting them over because when you put your opponent over and when you beat him, that means you're more over. And to the point you just made, Roop did that here with DiBiase. He put him, I mean, he's putting him over, he's talking him up and it makes, it hopefully makes once Roop defeats him, even that much bigger of a champion and better of a champion. Ted DiBiase wins with a power slam. And from there, we go to our next match. It is Killer Khan with General Skandar Akbar against King Cobra, who we saw return, I think, last week on the show, or maybe two weeks ago on the show. I'll give the result right now with Rick Ferreira as the referee. Killer Khan wins with a knee drop off the second rope. Few notes I had here. One, it must have been very hot in the Irish McNeil Boys Club because there must have been a giant fan right off camera, because Akbar's turban is flying all over the place, if you notice, during this match. I did notice, and this was this also reminds me of World Class. If you watch any of the summertime shows from World Class in the Sportatorium, you oftentimes, if Hayes is in there, Akbar is in there, you'll see with Akbar's turban flopping in the wind, Hayes, you'll see his hair flopping in the wind. You kind of saw it with... with with um, Dr. Death, actually, in the previous match, uh, also, his his hair was kind of moving. It's got to be really hot in there. I mean, it's summertime, Shreveport, it's humid in Louisiana, especially well, South Louisiana is more humid than North Louisiana. But you get to the point, you get to mid-June, July, August, man, it's it could get sweltering uh, just with the humidity. So, yes, there is a fan whipping trying to at least uh, circulate some air in this building because I would seriously doubt somebody can confirm it that they had AC in this building. Oh, yeah, there's no way. There's no way they had AC there. But uh, my <laughs> other two big notes from this match, Mike, were one, there's a man with a giant cowboy hat sitting next to the man that we usually refer to as Hank. And his hat is bigger than Hank's. Did you see that? Uh, I'm trying to actually look it up as you said it. <laughs> I'm seeing it. Um, and I was trying to remember because, we, you know, uh, I've watched a couple episodes recently. I think Hank actually even moves at one point. I, I'm not sure if this was the episode next or, week. or after it. But next week, yeah, yeah, he moves his normal location to the to the left side of the ring, which was really weird. I, I guess Hank didn't like who he was sitting by or something. Um, but I, I didn't notice that. And you've got me looking for it. And now I can't find it. So, um, oh, I do see him. Yes. OK. Yeah, there you go. I understand why he moves. Some guy sat next to him and tried to steal his gimmick. An old white guy with a cowboy hat bigger than Hank's. Hank's probably like, what the hell is this? This is my thing. Who are you? Don't talk to my old ladies. And then I'm Hank, Hank. Gave, and then Hank gave up and moved to the other side of the ring. <laughs> yeah, Hank. Hank's like, look, pal, this is my broad. This is my spot. I'm the I'm cowboy hat guy here in Mid-South, not you. Who the heck do you think you are? Yeah. Speaking of oh. hats, I've never seen more children with trucker hats in my life than I do in the audience of this episode. They must have been giving them out at like the local <laughs> gas stations or something, because you're right. That hard camera shot. There's a kid with the Pittsburgh Steelers, another kid with a red shirt. They've all got those foam brim net backing trucker hats that they had throughout the 80s. Good Lord. From there, we go to our next match. And I think I said it before. Killer Khan won with a knee drop off the second rope. But the next match I really, really liked. 
It is the Louisiana State champion, the Junkyard Dog, versus the Grappler with Alfred Neely as the referee. And Mike, tell me what you thought, but watching this match, it really became clear to me just how good Lynn Denton, the Grappler, was. Because we've all heard the story that when he first went in there, he worked with JYD on TV, and Watts threatened to fire him and Ernie Ladd, the booker, because he exposed that the JYD couldn't work really well, that he would get blown up, that he would get tired. They worked a match that wasn't to the JYD strengths. You watch this. This is a match to the JYD strengths. It goes a little longer than the average JYD match, and the grappler knows how to work with him. The grappler knows how to get the best out of JYD. So... I told I I agree with everything you just said 100% and then some. And normally I would say, "Hey, let me talk about a couple of things I saw," but I really want to tell people, you have you need to go watch this match if you have the network because it is exceptional. The grappler, he just takes the best bumps. He's flying around for the dog. I mean, it's just incredible. He looks so good. Everything he does is it just looks perfect. And it's hard to articulate how great Lynn Denton is as he flops around and just sells for JYD and bumps and powders out of the ring at the right time. Just everything. You, you got to go watch it. It's really, really good. And I, I mean, there's nothing more I can say that would do it justice. Just how good Lynn Denton is here with JYD. Let's hear some audio now, Mike, of the finish of the match. And you and I will discuss it on the other side. What he needed to do, leg sweep. Junkyard dog, able to come back almost at will sometimes. Remarkable. Ooh, the referee catched it. Alfred Neely caught it full. And yeah. the grappler, they're on the other side. And in the ring, the only man is the champion, the junkyard dog. Well, now the grappler, uh, yeah, the grappler's uh, getting ready to go back in the ring. Alfred and Neely on the cement floor, but it's not grappler, the grappler. Grappler's getting back. It's in. the mask assassin. The assassin, the junkyard dog. I don't know, but he realizes that it might still be the grappler because well, he just pulled him in from the apron. Ooh, uh, the grappler, the assassin. Oh, no, he missed the, he missed the Whoa. kick. Junkyard dog. The assassin loaded up that forehead there. And now, now then, the junkyard dog. He realizes that it is not the grappler, Bob Roop. Well, it's impossible. It's kind of hard to tell from here. Uh, now that, uh, that, well, whoever that was went out. That's the grappler. There's the grappler. Yeah, he was there the whole time. Well, he, power slam. back in the ring. Alfred Neely out. There's a junk. One-man gang. The one-man gang entering. Well, I know what he's going to do. He's going to break his leg. He's going to wrap that leg around the post. Alfred Neely called for the bell, and... The one-man gang on the leg of Junkyard Dog, you recall, two weeks Look ago Look at here. Ted DiBiase running in that match That's interference. Ted DiBiase. Unless you remember, two weeks ago, the one-man gang grabbed Ted DiBiase and threw his leg against that steel post. There is your decision. Alfred Neely disqualifies for outside interference and still Louisiana heavyweight champion, the Junkyard Dog. Ted DiBiase should be suspended for interference. We still have like some that. time left, so we'll have more standby matches coming up after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Mike, this is great stuff, and one of the things that makes it so great is the reaction of the fans. They're now so trained that when the one-man gang comes out, he's going to try to injure one of these guys. And as soon as he grabs the dog's leg, you hear the people start screaming. The assassin 
The, another cool thing, JYD punches the assassin. You know that movie does where he gets the guy in the mat and he punches him in the forehead? He does that and then he sells his hand because the assassin already had the loaded mask. Although I don't think Boyd Pierce knows what he's talking about when he says, he may think it's still the grappler. No, he knew it wasn't the grappler. The grappler wasn't wearing a bodysuit and a yellow mask. But there's a lot of really cool stuff here. And again, it builds into something we saw a few weeks back. Ted DiBiase runs out there to save his best friend, the junkyard dog. So you just you, everything you said was spot on when JYD sells his hand when he hits the the assassin in the head uh, because the assassin had already loaded his mask. But and, and the, the reaction from the fans when when all this is going down is just priceless. I mean, they are the bleachers. There's not a person. Well, I'm exaggerating. There may be one person sitting, but the bleachers. They are up and alive. The kids are going nuts. They are losing it, clapping, cheering. Just everything that's going down here is just tremendous stuff. Uh, I agree. I think you hit on something I didn't even thought of. They're trained. They saw when One Man Gang came out. It was like, oh, my, we got to react to this. Um, The only thing I'm going to add to what you just said as Alfred Neely DQs the grappler there because of all the shenanigans after everything Roop just saw on commentary, after everything that just went down with the assassin and the gang coming out, the only thing he can say at the end of that is DiBiase should be suspended for outside interference, which was great because it was the most heel thing to do there considering gang and assassin interfered long before DiBiase ever ran in to save the dog. That was the only thing I could add to what you said. I just thought that was really gold on Roop's part as he just, you know, I I didn't see any of that other stuff, but DiBiase, he should be suspended. And that plays into what we talked about a little earlier, how annoyed Boyd Pierce gets at the heel Bob Roop on commentary. And we'll talk about that right now, actually. In the next match, Hangman Rick Harris versus Jesse Barr. The Hangman Rick Harris wins with a neckbreaker with Rick Ferreira as the referee. But let's listen to a little bit of audio here of Boyd Pierce, a little fed up with Bob Roop and his shenanigans. Now, this kind of move, of course, well, you can see he's not on the, on the man's throat. It's a legal move, a legal, not illegal. It's a legal move. At the same time, though, it puts a lot of pressure up around the, the central nervous system, the base, of course, is the brain. And uh, quite frankly, I never let anybody hold me in this kind of hole. because Bob uh, if you didn't pick up too much on the previous match for the Louisiana title when Alfred Neal, the referee, was out on the cement floor. Likewise was the Raptor, which was the challenger. You didn't say too much when the assassin came in and jumped in the ring, started on the champion, the junkyard dog, loaded up his hood, and then finally the... Junkyard dog realized who it was. Then here come the one-man gang came in and tried to work his leg over just like he did Ted DiBiase two weeks ago, and DiBiase came to the ring. You, you didn't say too much about it. Well, you know, uh, Boyd, uh, you were kind of handling it, and uh, I didn't quite see it that way. I, I, wasn't, uh, I couldn't see it that clearly on the monitor. Uh, Hangman Harris has taken over here, but I did see Ted DiBiase run out there, which he's only got one more week to do, by the way and interfere in somebody else's match, and uh, he's going to get himself hurt real bad one of these days doing that. Of course, it's going to have to be somewhere else because I'm going to pack his bags for him here. But uh, Hangman Harris uh, has, has, has obviously uh, the rough-and-ready style, and that weight advantage seemed to be taking its toll here. I was going to say I didn't know too much about him, boy, but I saw him uh, hang up somebody the uh, caliber of Dick Murdoch, so he's not any slouch because... Uh, Dick Murdoch does not get hung up by just anybody. Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch. 
And actually, let's stop it there because they're going to go into some other stuff. And uh, Bob Rupp's favorite word this week, slouch, because he used it earlier when talking about Ted DiBiase. I mentioned it. And I got to say, Rupp's doing a great job as a heel on commentary. He's not over the top. He's obnoxious. He could certainly get heat from those fans just by talking in his casual manner and denying certain things, ignoring certain things, and addressing the things that fit into his agenda. Again, very much in tune with the real Bob Roop. But I think he's doing a great job here. Yeah, and, you know, credit Boyd for basically just repeating everything that as young audience members as we watched this, or even older audience members back then, I'm sorry, Boyd was just repeating what we were thinking the whole time. Because the whole time in that earlier match, he's saying all that stuff about DiBiase should be suspended and completely ignoring the fact that gang was out there, assassin was out there. I mean, Boyd just calls him out on it. He's like, it's mighty convenient of you to miss that stuff. And Roop's response was, well, you know, you were doing such a good job of calling it, and I didn't clearly see it on the monitor. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) But that's what made it great, because he's lying, and he's supposed to lie. He's not supposed to insult us. He's just lying. He's doing what he should do. And God darn it, today's commentary should take a hint on that. overall in general because we just don't see that like that anymore and i don't think Rupert's is great on commentary in general but the role he's playing here he he's really good i mean he's he's really really you know sticking to uh i didn't see it you know didn't happen in my eyes i don't know what you're talking about there boyd oh you were calling it great but i didn't see it Rupert is perfect in his role on commentary and the interplay with him and boyd is perfect and i think you may be able to argue that other than bill watts and jim ross out of all the episodes we've watched Bob Root may be the best person in that second chair. Again, not necessarily as a commentator, because he is playing the role of the heel, but in terms of effectiveness, in terms of being able to talk and get across everything he needs to get across and really deliver and get heat while doing it. I think Root is doing a great job here. Uh, Once again, the hangman Rick Harris wins with a neckbreaker. And from there, some interesting stuff going on here on the show, Mike. The next match is scheduled to be Ernie Ladd versus Randy Bass, one of the most jobberous looking jobbers that we've seen in mid-south wrestling but let's play some audio because things go a bit astray here so let's hear what's going on this event is for one fall or remaining television time in the red corner at 240 pounds from fort worth texas randy base randy base in the ring his opponent's a big cat ernie lad where is Ernie Ladd? I mean, uh... And right now we're waiting for big Ernie Ladd to come to the arena, but I see referee Alfred Neely is running to the ring. Let's see what's going on here. Richard, there's been a problem here. Uh, Ernie Ladd had refused to wrestle in this match, so we, uh, Grizzly Smith had got a substitute to uh, be Jesse Barr. Okay, there you have it. For some reason, Ernie Ladd has refused to wrestle in this match, so... Across the ring in the blue corner at 236 pounds from Portland, Oregon, Jesse Barr. Well, Bob Roop, you heard the introduction, same as I did, as Alfred Neely came to the ring late and told Richard Bowden that Ernie Ladd refused to participate in this match against Randy Bass. Jesse Barr coming back doing yeoman duty, and that's a compliment to this youngster from Portland, Oregon. Uh, what happened to Ernie Ladd and why he refused? He must have his reason, as you do sometimes. Well, obviously, uh, Jesse Barr's got more guts in his kneecap than Ernie Ladd's got in his whole body, because where's Ladd? 
I mean, he's got a chance to come out here and continue down the comeback trail. Jesse Barr just got dropped on his gizzard a few minutes ago, and he's out here now. Uh, he obviously has got a lot of stamina and uh, some recuperatory power because he is out, and he is carrying, uh, he's carrying it to uh, Randy Base. But again, uh, Ernie Ladd, uh, this is <laughs> refusing to wrestle. Well, you never heard me refuse to wrestle. Uh, I wrestle anybody, anywhere, anytime. And, uh, you know, because I had a background like, like young Jesse Barr, for example, 15 years of amateur and beating everybody in uh, the Olympics and gold medals and that kind of stuff. So I'm used to this kind of stuff. Now, he made a mistake there. He gave him too much time, and he didn't have him beaten down enough. Randy Bass came off with a knee to the side of the head, which is smart. Let me stop it right there, Mike. few notes here. One, I get such a weird kick out of Randy Bass, and I can't explain it. You'll never see a wrestler that looks like that guy ever again, ever again, in terms of pale, the muscle tone, the look, the mustache, the hair. That's a time gone by, and there's something about him I get a kick at it. But we didn't mention it during the last match. There was a point where... The hangman Rick Harris on Jesse Barr, who, of course, is in this match right after the previous match where he got defeated. He's in this match. He hits him with the hot shot, what what we would commonly refer to as the hot shot, the Eddie Gilbert hot shot. But he doesn't hit the top rope. It's like because hangman Rick Harris is too far in the middle of the ring, he misses the top rope and just gets clobbered by the middle rope. And it looks really brutal. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because they even showed it on the on the transition segment on the replay, you see Barr like get draped across that second rope. I mean, he hits it hard. So I agree. Um, and you're right. It it definitely was what we come to know as the hot shot later on from Eddie Gilbert, but he hits it across the second rope really looked brutal though. And the fact that Jesse Barr uh, to spoil things here a little bit, he comes out and then he beats Randy base uh, going back though, to what we are talking about here with Reeser. Um, I don't think Reeser knew what was about to happen, as usual, although there's not really a lot of comedy there. It's just that his response of, okay, there you have it, once Alfred Dealey tells him that, you know, Ernie Ladd is not coming out. So Ernie Ladd refuses to wrestle in this match. Uh, Reeser looks a little confused, but he goes with it. Uh, Bob Roop then uses Ernie Ladd's refusal to wrestle as a chance to put himself over, as he says he never has refused to wrestle. I thought that was really good. But uh, the fact that you're right, like Barr could wrestle in this match was tremendous considering that shot he just took. And there's a couple of things in this match I wanted to mention. One, there's a weird point where Jesse Barr does like a weird punch to the throat as Randy Bass comes off the rope. And then Randy Bass takes a few more steps and does like this funny pratfall. And then he wins with a belly to belly that just slaughters Randy Bass. It looks like it's, you know, we mentioned a few weeks ago with a power slam that was really low to the ground. This is another one. This belly to belly, one false step and Randy Bass is in the hospital. It looked brutal. Randy Bass was almost on his, like, crown of his head as he went over. Uh, I don't know if he got lost in between going straight over versus sideways, but that that's what it looked like. They were, like, in between, and Randy Bass nearly was landed on the crown of his head. Very, very vicious looking when you look at it, yes. For the next match, it is scheduled to be the Assassin and the One-Man Gang with General Skandar Akbar versus Tony Torres and Mike Hudspeth. 
with Rick Ferreira as the referee, but something different happens here, and we're going to actually play the original audio because the WWE Network does not use the original music, and because of that, they use some generic crap that completely stomps over everything Akbar is saying. We're going to do this for historical purposes. I want to play the original audio here, and then we'll come out of this and play a little bit more audio on the other side. Now it's tag team action for one fall or remaining television time. In the red corner, at 454 pounds, General Skandor Akbar presents the one-man gang. And his partner at 255 pounds, the assassin. We're waiting now for the opponents to enter the arena. seems that the opponents are having a little difficulty getting into the arena. Now you heard Richard Bowden, Bob Roop, one-man gang and assassin in the ring. Their opponents, Tony Therese and Mike Hudspeth, yet to make an appearance. Well, they might have had second thoughts, Boyd. Uh, I wouldn't blame them. Uh, bring them out. Uh, bring them out. The general has uh, got a really kind of a formidable team here. Assassin's one of the best in the world. One-man gang has put out about six or seven wrestlers since he's been in the Mid-South. So, I mean, maybe uh, Tony Therese and Mike Hudspeth figured the price is too high to wrestle these men. Uh, the general certainly has gotten some results of spending his money wisely, you might say. And this new killer con, he is very, very impressive. As we said earlier, Killer Khan from Mongolia, the only man ever to injure the big eighth one of the world, Andre the Giant. Well, you notice that people have, all have a theme in common. They injure people. Khan injured Andre the Giant. One-man gang injured a bunch of Well, I don't see the scheduled opponents coming to the ring, but I do see someone moving into the arena. What is this? No, sir. We didn't sign for any match. But, hey, that's just our dog. Ernie Ladd and a junkyard dog. I don't know what's going on uh, here. That's 327 pounds from Houston, Texas. Big Ernie Ladd and his partner, the junkyard dog. And now it seems that they have no opponents. The one-man gang and Skandor Akbar have deserted the ring. Obviously, they have deserted the ring, so that would... Apparently mean a forfeiture of the match. Racer, all I can say is this. It's just about time that somebody take this thing under control. Well, it seems that you and Big Ernie Ladd have certainly taken it under control. Well, I owe a man a favor, Racer. When I owe a man a favor, I pay my debts. And it's time now for some United to come together. And Ladd, I owe you a favor, and I'm about to pay it. One time, baby. One time. There, you've seen something that you never expected to see. Big Ernie Ladd and Junkyard Dog on the same team. 
I'm going to stop it right there, Mike. We'll play more audio in a second, but I want to talk about that because that's a big moment there. And it's something that, in a way, it's been teased for a while. We know about the longstanding feud, the longstanding history between Ernie Ladd and the Junkyard Dog. There's no love lost between the two of them. And when Ernie Ladd turned babyface after he was attacked by the one-man gang, the Samoans and General Skandar Akbar, he called the Junkyard Dog to be his partner, and the Junkyard Dog hung up on him. Didn't accept the money, didn't even accept the phone call. Hung up on him. And here we are now because we've seen Ernie Ladd run out there because he's so set on getting Akbar and the gang. He's run out there, and because of that, helped the dog. The dog is now willing one time to return the favor. Yeah, Ernie called the dog and said, let me tell you something, dog, uh, I got $10,000. Let's bear the hatchet, brother. I said, let's bear the hatchet, brother. Let's bear the hatchet, brother. He hung up on me. But you're right. He called him. JYD didn't want anything to do with it, just based on everything that had happened in the past. But now, Dog is out here, and he's like, you know what? He tells Lad, I owe him a favor. And Reeser says, we see something we thought we'd never seen. Now, are we going to talk about Reeser not being told what was about to happen? Because I <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to go there, but you know, our audience seems to really love Reeser and uh, in, in his being lost out there or being just just hung out to dry sometimes. So anyway, I, I I don't think I once again think that Reeser was like, um, what's happening here? I wasn't told this. This is not in my cue cards. That's exactly what happened. And I love it. I mean, there is a lot of awkward. I shouldn't say awkward. There's a lot of like silence there's a lot of points where they're just standing there the heels are in the ring they don't know what to do and Reese's just you know standing there smiling just waiting to see what happens either way he'll be fine either way he's gonna go home and have a steak dinner he's looking around he's like he's out there ad-libbing they like they finally announced jyd and ernie ladder or opponents and Reese is standing there like what the hell is going on here and He's Reeser even says he goes, well, they have deserted the ring as he just kind of looks around like, well, where are we going now with this thing? Um, I, I, I we, we joke. We love Reeser. We think he's hilarious. Uh, this is an important moment, though, because these two, two being lad and dog, uh, appear to have buried the hatchet, at least for our one moment in time. That's right. And of course, the assassin, the one man gang and Akbar flee. They leave, so we do not get a match. We only get to see the united team of the dog and Ernie Ladd. And from there, to close the show, we go back to the desk, Boyd Pierce and Bob Roop. I don't know. I heard Richard Bowden say that, but uh, Boyd, that's very hard to believe that uh, someone would stoop so low as to do that kind of thing, uh, get rid of the regular opponents some way, and come out here and, and try to take over a match that wasn't they weren't even scheduled in. And I don't approve of that kind well, of Bob thing. Bob Rube, I always tell it like it is here on Mid-South Wrestling. It looks to me like the time has come when the junkyard dog and Ernie Ladd will have to let their personal differences, their animosities go by as being something behind them, join forces. Somebody has to stop the ruffians from General Skandar Akbar's army. Well, the reason why is probably because if the junkyard dog is after me, it needs some help. But you people out there, I want to say... You got one week to wish Ted DiBiase goodbye. In fact, Boyd, I'd like to buy some time on this program next week. So after I beat Ted DiBiase, I would like to have his bags out here where everybody across the country could watch him pack his bags and head back to oblivion where he belongs. We've had a lot of exciting action, a lot of confusion, a lot of great wrestling this week. Next week, one fall, no disqualification, Ted DiBiase gets a chance at the North American Heavyweight Championship match and the belt that goes with it. So until then, thank you so much for joining us week after week for our guest commentator, Bob Roop, 
I'm Boyd Pierce saying goodbye, everybody, for Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Once again there, my great stuff from Roop. Not only the DiBiase stuff, but the little thing he said earlier where he was putting down the dog in JYD because how, how could they do such a thing where they replace the opponents that were supposed to be out there when that's exactly what he did to Paul Orndorff when he got the North American title in that match with DiBiase? Yeah, I mean, he he's the ultimate hypocrite right here, and that's exactly what a great heel is. A, a heel throughout our times as wrestling fans has always been just a hypocrite, somebody who, when it's convenient for them, they make the excuse, but when it's not convenient for them, they like to pile on and say, oh, I would never do that, when in actuality, that's exactly what they do all the time as heels. And I... Roop, again, I don't think Roop is great on commentary by any means, but the role he plays throughout this episode, I don't think you can get any better as far as, you know, the the heel motives and everything that he says throughout here. I think this was I think Roop on this episode was really good uh, as far as the, the role he was playing, getting this point across, the excuses, taking ownership for being a cheat when he talked about what he did to Orndorff. All that was just so great throughout this episode with Roop. A great episode, and it sets up a lot of big stuff next week on Mid-South Wrestling. Boy. One of the most memorable episodes of Mid-South Wrestling will be next week's show. But, Mike, as we wrap things up, I want to remind everyone, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can listen to me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. And actually, Mike and I recently recorded a segment you'll hear on an upcoming episode talking about Marcus Dupree. So check that out if that's something that will interest you. Once again, the 605 Super Podcast, and you can follow the Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod or the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. Mike, let everyone know how they can follow you and your fantastic show, Booking the Territory. First off, come check out Booking the Territory twice per week as we talk about Smoky Mountain Wrestling and the old NWA TBS Saturday Night Show, the old 605 show, not to be confused with Brian's 605 Super Podcast, but the show that came on TBS as we do our weekly reviews there. Uh, related to the Smoky Mountain Show, you got to come check it out. We are just getting into the point where the gangsters come into Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And while I would love for you to go back and listen to all 130 plus episodes that we've done of Smoky Mountain Wrestling to this date, uh, the new Jack stuff is gold. You'll love it. You can find the show by going on to tinyurl.com slash bttpod or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. I assure you, you will enjoy our very unprofessional wrestling podcast with myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner as we have a lot of fun discussing NWA from the 80s along with Smoky Mountain Wrestling from the 90s. And we talk about a numerous other topics as well, but it's a lot of fun. And then please give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. And I would definitely appreciate it. Brian, this was a great episode, but next week is even better. Oh, boy, is it. And we'll get there next week. And I think everyone's going to love that one. But want to remind you, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Book it. Mm-hmm.